0: I tell the yarn I'm in love with one of Sandra Hinch's former wives, but uh, he tells me that's okay. He's still in love with uh, the magnificent Jackie Weaver as well, so I don't want to do anything that uh, might impede my opportunity to meet her in the future.
1: Is it on? Look, I'm going to uh, shirt front, Mr. Putin.
2: I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. No, wait. It is on?
3: Uh, You bet you are. Uh, You bet I am. I don't like it. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate.
2: Well, may
1: we say God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General.
2: Hello, and welcome to episode 43 of BuzzFeed Australia's political podcast, Is It On? I am recording this at 2 o'clock on the afternoon of Wednesday, the 20th of June. My name is Alice Workman, and we are just about to roll into Senate Question Time, but currently they are debating personal tax cuts. They've knocked off Part 3, but Part 1 and 2 are still up in the air. I mean, this is it. This is the stuff that people live for. Let's debate whether or not to give rich people more money. Um, I am joined in the BuzzFeed bunker here in Parliament House by our new producer, Nick, who is replacing old producer, Nick. But this Nick is British.
3: Hello, Alice.
2: (laughs) Hello, Nick.
3: Was that British enough for you? I
2: think so. I think so. You did um, reprimand me earlier after you tried to claim that I wasn't going to make tea properly for you, which is probably the most British thing I think a person could do. Although, although you have previously worked with the band Blue.
3: I have. Is that, is that super British? What is
2: their, what is their song?
3: All right.
2: (laughs) I only know them from the film Love Actually.
3: Oh yeah. Uh. Oh, yeah, they're in that film, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, no, there's a lot more to know the, uh, about Blue than just Love Actually.
2: Okay, let's give the podcasters some, some, a, a, a taste of what it was like to, to work with Blue. What are they like?
3: Uh, they are, I mean, I'm not sure how uh, how much I'm allowed to divulge on this uh, family friendly. Keep it clean.
2: Keep, Oh, no, 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 actually, keep it dirty. Keep it dirty. I'm oh, no, you know, stuff.
3: they're they're good lads. They're good fun. There was good good times all round. Good banter. Good banter. Good bants, We would say. Good bants. Good bants. Oh, damn
2: it. Yes. Okay. Um. Uh, anyway, so uh, Nick was here with us today when we did that our live Twitter show. It went. Yeah, you went it right. It was
3: good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if as we a, may say so ourselves. As a
2: new uh, a new person to the country and to Australian politics, what do you make of it all?
3: Well, I know who. Uh, oh, I'm going to get his name wrong right now. Peter Paul. Peter. Peter, Peter Dutton is. Yep. We just, uh, we just saw him, didn't we? That was very exciting. We saw the back of your prime minister's head, it was equally as exciting. <laughs>
2: but didn't you just think some other white guy was him earlier <laughs> today?
3: <laughs> yes, I was with some of the assistants of the guests that you had outside, uh, outside the studio, and this guy walked past and I asked if that was uh, Malcolm Turnbull. <laughs> These people just looked at me like I uh, like I was a crazy person, which maybe I, maybe I look like. I'm growing a goatee, which I've never done before.
2: Is so that maybe why you keep maybe rubbing makes, your chin? Yeah, I'm, I thought you I'm were not, trying to be wise No, and I'm you not were just stroking it.
3: No, I'm just not used to having facial hair on my chin.
2: Why are you trying to grow a goatee? I
3: don't know. Just maybe, you know, maybe it thought it make me look more mature when I came to Parliament. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Any facial tips for anyone who's growing a goatee?
3: uh i mean none yet none yet <laughs> but but if you want to move further up the face of the eyebrows actually michelle renex in the office yesterday she uh, she waxed my eyebrows for the first time i've never had that done why i don't know i just you know she said she asked she asked me if i wanted to have it done i said yeah of course just so in I did. the
2: middle of the work day yeah
3: <laughs> it's great do you think i have good eyebrows
2: yeah i think they look very symmetrical
3: thank you thank you michelle
2: this is what happens in the buzzfeed office Not in this one. We're not waxing people in this office. Um, uh, (laughs) So on today's show, we had a chat to Liberal Senator Jane Hume and Labor MP Terry Butler. We also jumped across the ditch to New Zealand to find out where Jacinda Ardern's baby is because it was due on Sunday. Uh, I've also decided, um, no offense, Nick, uh, to any of the royals, but I'm calling Jacinda Ardern's baby New Zealand's royal baby. Um,
3: oh, interesting. Okay, why?
2: Uh, well, because I can't get invested in George Charlotte and the other one. What? I don't even know the other one's name. Louis. Is that really the third one? Yeah, no. it's Louis. Yeah, I couldn't get involved in that. Didn't believe in the last royal wedding. Thought it was a whole stitch up. So I thought I'd rather just invest my time in <laughs> Jacinda Arden's baby and we'll call it, you know, it can be Australia New Zealand's royal baby. Do
3: you want to know what I did for the royal wedding? Oh, yes. So I was in Australia. Mm-hmm. We uh, We had... <laughs> I, I got a bedsheet and I was trying to hang it in our garden. My housemates, my, my housemates and I have a really nice garden, and um, we found a projector. We were going to project the royal wedding onto this bedsheet, and then one of the neighbours from down the street saw what we were doing and actually bought a proper projector screen round. So we uh, invited this whole laneway that I live on. We had this huge royal wedding party in the in the garden. It was amazing. Did you drink pims? We did drink pims. <laughs> oh I my bought God. pims. Yeah. <laughs> the most
2: stereotypical. British I know. And actually, the day after our
3: wedding was my birthday. So. Oh happy so,
2: birthday! Thanks for a month
3: ago. Yeah, but but, um, Jacinda and her baby. Yeah. Royal where is baby. it? Yeah, where is it? Where is it? Where this royal is
2: it? Where baby? is it? It it heard all the sexist talk that got thrown at the mo- at its mother, and it thought, I don't want to come out of this place. This place seems shit.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
2: Okay. Well, enough about babies. Uh, They can't vote, so we probably shouldn't care about them. Uh, So now we'll move on to... It's now time for another Michaelia Cash update. Quick Michaelia Cash money update. I got confirmation this week that taxpayers' cash will be picking up the legal bills for Michaelia Cash to fight the two subpoenas that the Australian Workers' Union have issued her through the federal court uh, as part of its challenge against the police raids. On its offices last year, Attorney General Christian Porter has approved what's called a financial assistance application from Michaelia Cash uh, for an unknown amount. um, And it is for, quote, the cost of legal representation in responding to two subpoenas issued on 28th of May 2018 and other costs related to providing a response to these subpoenas. Here's Michaela Cash talking about it in Question Time on Tuesday.
0: Senator Cash.
2: Uh, well, thank you, Mr President. And uh, as per the legal services direction, ministers would know, and Senator Wong herself would know, as her time as a minister. Ministers may receive legal assistance when matters arising relating to their duties as a minister. That is what is occurring
3: well, and Senator, I'm following the process. On a, on a point of point order. point of order is direct relevance. The question was who is acting for the minister and what is the estimated cost. It was not a question about the, 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 the order.
1: Okay, Senator Wong, I will apologise. I was in consultation with another senator for the 11 seconds of the minister's answer. I will listen carefully to the next 49. Senator
2: Cash. Uh,
0: In relation to the estimate, I will take that on notice.
2: Order. So we don't know how much money will be spent on her legal defence or who is representing her, but we do know that the government has already spent over $614,000 to defend the Rock and the Fair Work Ombudsman in the AWK so far. And today... Wednesday the 20th is subpoena deadline day. You might remember that last episode, the minister told a press conference that she would comply with uh, the legal processes and, and you know, was issuing instructions to her lawyers to have the subpoena set aside, but she hasn't done it yet. And she has until of business today, unless her lawyers get a continuance. Um, if she doesn't, challenge the subpoenas then she'll have to produce documents including communications with her staff about the raids and also appear in person in the federal court in melbourne on the 1st of august so that's it for now but uh we will keep you updated as more happens australian politics
3: yay
2: finally nick electorates is what we call the seats that Politicians sit in in uh, the lower house in parliament in Australia. Um, there was a debate about whether or not uh, one of the electorates, which name is Corangamite, would be renamed Cox, C-O-X. Okay. A lot of people objected to this because they thought that maybe politicians are like two-year-olds and that, no. and that if the member for Cox or the member for Cox should withdraw or any (laughs) see you're laughing so um people objected to to the renaming uh of the word cox um let it be known that the woman
3: the woman let let it be known that there was going to be cox
2: no no rude let it be known that the that the 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 woman who who uh whose surname was cox who was going to be named after was this uh an amazing woman that played a huge role in the electoral system in victoria and was a huge pioneer but um you know uh penises so she can't have an electric named after yeah, sorry. her makes a lot of sense it's a shame though yeah it is a shame uh but also we have a seat um that is spelt batman like no 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 batman but um uh is pronounced batman really not a lot of people know that it's called pronounced batman uh that, do, the- do you
3: think that's what the the whole comics were someone just got it wrong from the get-go it was actually about someone called mr batman
2: Maybe. <laughs> Shit, we should call Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, so so Batman's going to be, Batman Batman is going to be renamed Cooper to honour Australian Aborigine League Secretary William Cooper.
3: It's better than Cox.
4: <laughs> is it? Is it?
2: <laughs> and on that very tasteful note, um, thank you, Nick, for this week's episode. Uh, hope you guys enjoy. You can hit me up on Twitter at WorkmanAlice. Uh, And, of course, the hashtag for the live show is BFOspol. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Hello, and welcome back to the aspirational BuzzFeed News Bunker here in Parliament House in Canberra for another sitting week edition of AusPoll Live. Just a reminder that Parliament is sitting today, so if you hear bells, please don't panic. It is just the voting system here in Parliament House. It's nothing on your end. Don't worry about it. Uh, joining me in today's show, I have Liberal Senator Jane Hume and Labor MP Terry Butler. They'll be with me in a few moments, but first, it has been a huge week here in Canberra and today in a world first The government has announced an inquiry into workplace sexual harassment inspired by the hashtag MeToo movement. Minister for Women Kelly O'Dwyer has offered up $500,000 for the inquiry, which is going to be run by the Human Rights Commission. And they say early research shows that workplace harassment in Australia has significantly increased since 2012. So I'll be asking Liberal Senator Jane Hume about that in just a moment. But also this week, Parliament passed legislation for a national redress game for survivors of childhood sexual abuse. The government also has continued to deny they have any plans whatsoever to sell the ABC. A Greens bill to scrap the tampon tax uh, has passed the Senate but is now stalled in the lower house and we found out this week that taxpayers will be flipping the bill for Jobs Minister Michaelia Cash's legal challenge into the Australian Workers Union Federal Court case on the raids that happened in their offices last year. Now we don't know how much money this is going to cost or who is representing Michaela Cash? But we do know that so far. Over $600,000 of taxpayers' money has already been spent on this case to defend the Rock and the Fair Work Ombudsman, but we'll find out more this afternoon because today is subpoena D-Day. That's right, Michaelia Cash and her former staffer have until this afternoon to issue a challenge to the subpoenas that were put out last month by the AWU. Those subpoenas were for her to produce documents and to turn up in person and give evidence in August. So we will have more on that on Twitter this afternoon. Uh, but in WTF Ospol New This Week, Clive Palmer is back. Yeah, I know. And Brian Burston, who last we checked, was a One Nation Senator, is now apparently the leader of the new United Australia Party. But he hasn't told the Senate that yet. So for now, he remains an independent on the crossbench, chatting with the other independents. But it's a wait and see. Personally, I think that maybe I'll give it a few a few days before we actually finally decide he's joining Clive, before he doesn't change his mind. You know what those One Nation guys are like. But strangely enough, that is not the weirdest thing that's happened in Parliament this week. The weirdest thing is that Malcolm Turnbull has solved sport. He's fixed it, just like Christopher Pine. I'm sure as you're all aware, on Saturday night when the Socceroos had their first World Cup game, anyone watching on Optus Sports had playback errors, system crushes, and were frankly just really shitty about it on Twitter. So, the man that Tony Abbott once joked practically invented the internet in Australia, took it upon himself to call up the Optus CEO and reprimand him for his shitty coverage, saying they had to get their act together. Here is the PM in Question Time on Monday.
3: The member for Whitlam. Thank
1: you, Speaker. My question is to the Prime Minister. Can the Prime Minister confirm that when he was Communications Minister, the government was warned that the government's cuts to the SBS could have an impact on the ability of Australians to watch the World Cup? This included the SBS CEO Michael Abed warning Senate estimates in 2014 that future World Cup coverage could be at risk because of the government's cuts. So will the Prime Minister now apologise to football fans who are complaining about second-rate coverage of the World Cup?
0: Um, I'm not going to call the Prime Minister. Members on both sides. I'm happy to hear from uh, the Deputy Manager of Opposition Business on this subject in a second, but um, as I heard the question, it asked the Prime Minister about his previous ministerial responsibilities. I'll call the prime minister. Mm. Speaker, I
1: think the most important thing to say about the World Cup is that we're all inspired by the determination of the Socceroos. Uh, they played, they played the most expensive team in the world, France, and they came so close. I won't uh, express any personal views about the video referee, but uh, I think a fair-minded, a fair-minded. Uh, fan of the French team would recognise they were very fortunate uh, to get that one goal win. And we know the Socceroos. that Socceroos played so well, we congratulate them. I thank the honourable member for giving me the opportunity to do so here in the House of Representatives and we wish them all the best for the next game against Denmark and the whole campaign. Now as far as, uh, as, far as streaming is concerned, I'll confirm that I spoke to the CEO of Optus, Alan Liu, today about this. Uh, he, he obviously acknowledges uh, they've had some real problems uh, with streaming uh, from, the, uh, from the Optus uh, platform. He believes that it will be, he believes he can fix it, believes it will be fixed tonight. Uh, and obviously, uh, Australian uh, soccer fans will be expecting Optus to deliver in that regard. But thank, thank you very much, and again for asking the question. But go the Socceroos! Yeah.
2: What do you think? Is this a vote-winning move from the Prime Minister to get involved in the World Cup? Or do you think he should be focusing on bigger issues in the world and Australia than the round ball game? I mean, personally, I'm not convinced that he's ever actually watched the Socceroos play, but we'll wait and see. Hit me up with your thoughts on hashtag BFOZPoll. Adele K. Thomas says the heart of the matter is about cuts to SBS. That's why they had to on-sell the World Cup rights to Optus in the first place. Damon Jacobs said the PM is an expert in shitty networks or creating them anyway. I will take that as a comment about the NBN. Uh, And SatMag says Turnbull should have got Liberal Senator Lucy Kachui to make the call to the Optus CEO. And then she could have claimed the cost. Lucy Kachui is, of course, the South Australian Liberal Senator uh, who said that she didn't think her $200,000-plus-a-year salary was that much money, uh, but then also uh, charged taxpayers to fly her family out for her birthday. Uh, But just to leave the World Cup there, I think I speak on behalf of everyone in this building when I say good luck to Mike and the boys for their game tomorrow night. In the last few days, tens of thousands of Australians have attended candlelight vigils and tributes around the country and even here at Parliament House to mourn the 30 women that have been killed in Australia in the last year. Just in the last week, two women have been murdered. One of them got a lot of attention. That's 22-year-old comedian Euridice Dixon, who was raped and murdered in a Melbourne park. The one that didn't, That was 28-year-old Ki Yu who disappeared in Melbourne and police have now charged her roommate with her alleged murder. Yudice's family didn't want to make her death a political statement. So instead, tens of thousands of people all around the country gathered in silence by candlelight. Here's what happened. (music) After the vigil here in Parliament House, Deputy Labor Leader Tanya Plibersek tweeted, it's time that we stop blaming women and instead build a society where women are safe in public and in our homes. Tom Marlowe tweeted, these images stopped me in my tracks. Love will always win out. How unbelievably powerful. Let's hope Eurydice Dixon can feel all that love and support from up there. It's time to change. And Jane Gilmore tweeted, premeditated vandalism of Eurydice Dixon Memorial. This is how much some men hate women any hashtag not all men types who've made those jokes or sat silent as others did you're part of the problem and you're responsible for fixing it just like jane a lot of people are angry they're angry that women don't feel safe at night in public places they're angry that any conversation about eliminating violence against women only happens when another woman is murdered and isn't part of our ongoing daily debate It is worth noting that in the May budget, keeping Australia safe was one of the government's top five key priorities. Treasurer Scott Morrison's speech mentioned safety concerns multiple times in reference to securing borders and improving roads and infrastructure and elder abuse. But there was no mention of safety for women. There was no mention for women escaping violence, and there was no new money for frontline services and safe housing. Instead, of course, priority was given to creating a seven-year personal tax cut plan. Now, 30 women that we know of have been killed in Australia in the last year, but just to break those stats down, the Australian police deal with more than 264,000 domestic violence matters every year. That's an average of 5,000 a week, or one every two minutes. That means so far today, police in Australia have dealt with more than 330 domestic violence calls. In a moment, I'll be joined by Victorian Liberal Senator Jane Hume and Labor MP Terry Butler, to discuss what they think needs to happen in Australia to stop the violence. But I want to know what you think. Do you think it needs there needs to be more education? Is it a change in conversation? Uh, some kind of awareness campaign in the likes of speeding or drink driving? Or do we need a... Do we need some kind of government funding to push it up the priority list? Send me your thoughts with the hashtag BFOZPOL. The rape and murder of 22-year-old comedian Eurydice Dixon sent shockwaves around the country, mainly because she was murdered only 900 metres from her home. In question time on Monday, Greens MP Adam Bant, whose electorate takes in the streets that she walked before she was killed, he asked the Prime Minister whether something needed to be done to change men's behaviour. Here's what the Prime Minister said.
0: Uh, The Prime Minister has the call. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I thank the Honourable Member for that question. Our hearts go out to Eurydice's family, our prayers, our sympathy, our love are with them as they grieve her loss. Women must be safe everywhere, on the street, walking through a park, in their homes, at work. We need to ensure that we have a culture of respect for women. Not all disrespect of women ends up in violence against women, but that's where all violence against women begins. And so ensuring that we start from the very start, ensuring that our sons and grandsons respect the women in their lives is vitally important. We all, as parents and grandparents, have a duty to do that.
2: Victorian Liberal Senator Jane Hume and Labor MP Terry Butler join me now. Thanks so much for coming in this morning. Um, First up, I wanted to get your response to this tweet that we've been sent from Alison Banny, who said, a male is a victim to a random one-punch attack on a night out and the whole of Sydney CBD nightlife is shut down. Venues closed, strict lockout laws are put in place. But in cases like Euridice Dixon, women are told to be more careful and have situational awareness. First to you, Senator, do you think that we take violence against women less seriously? No, I don't. But can we just go back and say, first of all, this is an extraordinary
4: tragedy. You know, Eurydice Dixon, 22 years old, such a brutal death. It's so tragic. And I think I speak for both of us when I say my heart goes out to her family and her friends and everybody that's left behind. And it's an understanding that there's been a massive outpouring of grief. That's perfectly understandable. But I don't think that we should compare different types of crimes and different types of situations this was an extraordinary situation it was a lone crazy predator it wasn't a you know Eurydice Dixon wasn't killed by an oppressive patriarchy she was killed by a lone crazy predator
2: but is this a bit of deja vu for you you're from Melbourne and this is the second high profile influence that happened in the last couple of years do you think that what's not happening that that needs to change that women keep getting murdered on the streets of Melbourne? Well, I don't think they do keep getting murdered on the streets of Melbourne. I know you're talking about Jill Maher and that
4: was a terrible tragedy as well. Again, a very different circumstance. I mean, Jill Maher was killed by a repeat offender, somebody that was out on parole. This was a first-time offender. No one ever expected that this fellow was going to come out and, and commit such a heinous crime. So I, I, I don't want to conflate too many issues here.
2: Yeah, Terry, one of the biggest reactions on social media was when the police came out and kind of, in a sense, victim blamed and put the onus on women. They said, rather than talking directly to men, it was about women making sure they protect themselves. Is it an uncomfortable reality that we just have to accept that maybe it's not safe for women in public spaces at night?
5: Uh, That made me furious, to be honest, Alice. This is not about victim blaming. And saying to women, protect yourselves is so patronising because women protect themselves every day. I've rarely met a woman who hasn't at some point thought about, do I hold my keys between my fingers? Uh, is the guy walking behind me, walking close to me because he's going to jump me? Or is he just oblivious to the fact that it might be scary for a woman walking alone to have some guy walking right up behind her?
2: Yeah, well, I wanted to ask you both, have either of you ever done any of those things yeah, across the street, held the keys? Absolutely.
5: Absolutely. We
4: do all the time and every day. But, you know, that said, I don't think that the police necessarily would try and victim. No, they were I mean, trying Lisa's to, but job. they inadvertently Police's did. Police's job, though, is to protect the public at that stage when that statement was made. The perpetrator was still out there. He was still on the loose. They didn't know what they were dealing mm-hmm. with. They were just trying to protect potentially the next victim because they didn't know what they were dealing with.
5: It was clearly inadvertent, but it was a bit disappointing. That's and it was infuriating, Big Jane, because we are told all the time, take care, protect yourself, walk with someone else. Uh, a friend of mine um, said to me "This that this was infuriating for her because when she was raped, it was when she was walking with someone else and that was the person she we all take these uh, steps the situational awareness steps to protect ourselves but the fact is it's still not safe and you know this idea that we need to be told to protect ourselves in public we do but actually uh, it's um, um most violence against women tends to happen by people they know uh in private situations that's why we have a focus on domestic violence and sexual violence um but i think it is important to remember when we're talking about this issue um Men are more likely to be killed in public. Women are more likely to be killed in private. But both are more likely to be killed by male violence. And I think that... I don't want to speak for Adam. Of course, he can speak for himself. But I think that the point that Adam was trying to make in Question Time was what are we going to do to address a culture where there is so much violence and where it's so much violence that's been perpetrated by guys and how do we actually change that? And I think one thing that everybody in the Parliament would agree on is that we need more prevention. We need more early discussion with kids about relationships, about equality, um, and we really need to think about this as an equality issue.
4: I agree with you, but don't you think that it wouldn't matter how many conversations you had with your sons, wouldn't matter how many conversations you had with your daughters, wouldn't matter how much culture change there
5: was, the terrible tragedy of Eurydice Dixon's murder potentially still could have happened. You will never, I think, eradicate crime completely in any society, but we can reduce it. We do have a problem with violence in this country. We've got a problem with violence against women, particularly, as I say, in the home, um, but, of course, in in public as well. Uh, We can't just throw up our hands and say, well, we can never completely eradicate it, so we shouldn't try to reduce it. We absolutely should try to reduce it. We have a national plan to reduce violence against women and their children. It needs more scaffolding around it, and what I mean by that. Is it needs to actually really pick up on and focus on those prevention and early intervention measures, and that uh, it's about changing people's perceptions, and that comes down to equality. You know, equal pay is an anti-violence strategy because it's about equality between the, the sexes and about respect. Um, having more women in leadership positions is an anti-violence strategy, not because those women are necessarily particularly prone to violence themselves, but uh, to being victims of violence themselves, but because the more we can all see each other as equals, the more we will actually reduce violence.
2: And I think that sums up one of the biggest arguments on social media this week, is that women see violence against women as a gender issue, but men don't. So is the answer changing the conversation or is it, do women have a right to take this issue personally, do you think, Jane? I think all women should take responsibility for their safety. I think all men should take
4: responsibility for the way that they treat women. That said, as I said, men didn't kill... Eurydice Dixon, mm. a lone man killed Eurydice Dixon, mm. and plenty of lone men kill
2: other lone men. But do you as think well. that we need to kickstart a conversation? Does something need to happen to bring this into the forefront?
4: I think we're already doing that, aren't we? But the problem is, it doesn't matter. As I said, how many conversations we could have had with our sons, with our uncles, with our fathers, with our brothers, whoever it is, we could have had a million conversations. This paten- this particular tragedy would still have occurred.
2: But can you, bo- you both have children. Do you both talk to your children about these types of all issues all the time? Like with my sons and yes. my daughters and with my what do you, sons. What do you say to your I sons? I tell them that it's
4: how important it is to respect women. I think they already know this. How important it is to respect women, but also how important it is to look after women. You know, one of the tragedies, I think, of the feminist movement, and I'm happy to call myself a feminist, but one of the tragedies of the feminist movement is the loss of chivalry and how afraid men are now to look out for for other women and to look out for each other as well and how, you know, we've stopped um, walking women to cars or walking women down but the do street. But don't you
5: think you're implicitly telling them by saying that that women are in some way weak mm. and vulnerable and needy? No. No, it's not
4: addiction. benevolent sexism at I
5: all mean, that is absolutely issue. the
4: wrong attitude it's just looking after each other it's good manners more than anything else good manners think... is a
5: very different proposition to chivalry requires that you take care of and protect the women because that really does reinforce those why gender is stereotypical roles why taking care of
4: somebody reinforcing a gender because stereotype because you're saying men
5: should do it for women not people should do it for people i and think that's people should do it for people and I that's, that's a very different when message. i talk
4: to my daughter i say exactly what that policeman said don't walk alone go with a friend keep a mobile phone but that on does you. Not be enough. aware of your Surroundings, but that's what that policeman said, and that's what he's it's been not accused enough. of. If you've been, he's been someone accused someone of victim you blaming You are
5: going to find that quite frustrating as well. well. that's a terrible but situation But look, can I say um, what I say to my kids? yeah I give them the yep. same pocket money, I treat them equally, they do the same chores, and it's baking in those equality measures. I'm sure you do it as yes. well, of course. Making in those equality measures is as important as talking about the issue of violence and I think we need to come back to this question of people seeing each other as people and I don't think you can take the murder of Eurydice, I don't think you can take the murder of uh, Lu. I don't think you can take any of the 30 murders in the first 24 weeks of this year in isolation. There is, it's just a fact that there is a, a, a broad problem in this country and if I I'm sure you do it as well. I go to domestic violence events, sexual mm-hmm. violence events, getting people in a room together, and the conversations that you hear are harrowing. And our question, I guess, as politicians is, what can we do... Not just as parents, not just in our private lives, not just in our communities, but on a broad national level to change the way that people relate to each other. I think that is actually a far more
4: important issue. It's that fact that one woman a week dies at the hands of her partner still Mm.
2: in Australia. That's the most pressing issue that we need to address. One of the questions I've seen really on social media this week is ultimately whose responsibility is it for safety in public spaces? spaces is it an urban planning issue is it a local government issue is it is it a bigger government issue is it community looking after themselves who who can step in at this point question
5: is about who is to blame the better question is about how do we stop this from happening in the first place okay and i think this question of who is to blame it's natural to want to find a reason for something senseless and horrible but if we really want to make this stop or at least happen less, then we have to say, well, all of those things need to be done. Public safety needs to happen, relationship understanding needs to happen, prevention, early intervention, uh, programs working within communities about how people relate to each other. And then there has to be places for people to go if they if they need the help, if that has happened to them, if something sort of violence Programs has
4: like Neighbourhood Watch, that's a fantastic program and that seems to have been defunded over the years, particularly in Victoria. And I know that the Victorian opposition is committed to refunding Neighbourhood Watch. CCTV cameras are really important. You know, in Singapore, they have the lowest level of sexual violence, um, whether it be domestic or from strangers, uh, but they have extraordinary numbers of CCTV cameras. So it's you know, okay. sometimes those sorts of things come at a cost of privacy as well. So there's, you know, some pushback against Sure, a lot of civil libertarians wouldn't be happy that's about exactly that. Right. But
2: is there anything that you think the federal government isn't doing that they could be doing well, actually, I was really pleased to see that the federal
4: government has refunded the Safety uh, Safer Communities Program, mm-hmm. which allows local governments and community groups to apply for grants for things like CCTV cameras, for yep. things like better street lighting or bollards or whatever it might be. And I think that's about $30 million in this most recent budget. But, but one of the biggest this-
5: replaced building safe communities for women, that program used to have a gender focus and that doesn't anymore. And I think that, that we're, we're losing something about the gendered nature of violence. You know, Even the prime minister says all disrespect of women doesn't lead to violence, but all violence starts with disrespect. But where does the disrespect come from? It comes from inequality. It nots. It comes from not seeing people as equals. And so, when we don't talk about the fundamental source problems, then we certainly don't talk about the responses. So, do you think there problems. should be an awareness campaign in schools? I think there has to be respectful relationships in schools. That is bipartisan at a Commonwealth level. I think, unfortunately, there's been some partisanship around it in the Queensland um, Parliament. But at a Commonwealth level, there is, I think, recognition that respectful relationships education from a young age is really important. There's been bipartisan support for Our Watch, which is the foundation Mm -hmm. for the prevention of violence against women. Uh, I'm very hopeful that there will continue to be largely almost completely bipartisan support for that program being rolled out again that is about building understandings of relationships and relating to people as people Uh, and you know i know there's some sorts of criticisms of it in some of the press but that's uh, i think probably a lack of understanding of what it's doing
2: one of the things i've seen uh people on the front line say that after a high profile murder case such as this one or any kind of awareness campaign their services get flooded and they don't have the resources to base, to equip themselves to help these women. Do you think that there, as much as we, as we kickstart the conversation, that maybe we need to kickstart the funding as well to really make sure that those on the front line can help these women out? Well, I think that sounds like a good idea, but I'd like to see the specifics of exactly what programs aren't being funded before. I commit the government to all sorts of funding for all sorts of programs. Absolutely. Now, finally, Senator, I just wanted to ask you about the announcement mm. today. Minister for Women Kelly O'Dwyer has announced an inquiry with the Human Rights Commission into uh, workplace harassment. Uh, The idea of it is that it'll hear evidence from employees. And then what do you think the likely outcome of such an inquiry could be? Is it a change of legislation or is it just... Potentially, awareness?
4: potentially. No, no. I think it'll be far more far-reaching than awareness. It's, so it's a 12-month investigation, and and Kate Jenkins, the uh, sexual discrimination commissioner, is going to come back with a series of recommendations as to how we could potentially implement things in the workplace, change legislation to ensure that uh, that you know, workplace sexual harassment. Is far less prevalent. Uh, I think this is terrific because there's such an economic cost to workplace uh, sexual harassment. So yeah, there's there's real opportunities here, and I actually think this is very forward forward thinking of uh, of the
2: coalition and of Minister O'Dwyer, and you know full credit to her. I'd like to get both your thoughts on there are often allegations of rumours flooding around this building of inappropriate relationships or sexual harassment. Do you think that potentially any cases in this building could come forward
5: in this? Inquiry, Terry? Well, I mean, people who work in this building have got the same rights to bring up those concerns and raise those issues as anyone else. Um, I think if there is any criminal behaviour, then people should refer that to the police, of course. But there are very strong provisions under the sex discrimination law, Mm For sexual harassment complaints, they should absolutely use those. I think the processes are very robust, the Commission does a good job on those. Uh, There was some media last year about the fact that staff who work in electorate offices don't have a sexual harassment policy. I understand that the Department has been working to remedy that. I thought that was a pretty glaring omission from the Department, so I'm pleased that there's been some some very clear work, um, at least uh, some clear focus on that issue. Uh, I think, though, that it is very good that there is a review of the sexual harassment provisions in the legislation. They haven't been reviewed for a little while. Uh, the sexual harassment provision itself is actually very similar to Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act. It's in very similar language. Uh, it uses the word. Um, offensive in the same way that ANC does. I wouldn't want to see any watering down of the sexual harassment uh, provisions coming out of this inquiry, but I've got great confidence. Uh, I think um, Minister O'Dwyer um, has uh, the interests of uh, women at heart. I don't have any particular reason to be sceptical of her, so I will uh, take a, an optimistic approach to this inquiry rather than a sceptical one.
2: You can probably hear the bells ringing. That means the That's Senate me. needs a vote. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Terry Butler, thanks so much for joining us on AusPol today. Thanks, Mary. Thank
5: thanks for having us. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jane.
2: In news from across the ditch, that's right. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is now three days off her due date. We are still waiting for New Zealand's royal baby, as I have dubbed it. Uh, the New Zealand PM has started handing off some responsibilities to her deputy, which who is New Zealand first leader, Winston Peters, of course, who's going to take on the top job while she's off on maternity leave for six weeks. Jacinda Arden, of course, is not the first woman to give birth while in office in 1990 in Pakistan. Then Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto gave birth to her daughter while she was in office. But to give us an update on when New Zealand's royal baby will arrive, I'm joined now by Radio New Zealand's political reporter, Jesse Chang. Jesse, what is happening? Where is this baby? So the baby... Has not come yet.
6: Um, we're still all waiting um, for news. Um, so we will be informed um, when the baby, when Jacinda goes to hospital. Um, and from there, um, once the baby is born, Jacinda will talk to media um, with Clark Gayford, her partner, and also the baby. Um, outside the hospital to have a brief stand-up about what it's been like um, before she goes on to maternity leave for about six weeks.
2: And judging by Jacinda Arden's Instagram, she really will be working right until the day she goes into labour and heads off to hospital. Here is a pic she put up on Instagram yesterday. But uh, Jesse, what do New Zealanders think about the PM taking six weeks of maternity leave? Has she copped any criticism? So I think for the most part, people have
6: been quite positive about um, the Prime Minister going on maternity leave. Um, right at the beginning, there were some opinion pieces where, uh, which suggested that she wouldn't be able to um, run the country um, as well as uh, be a mum. But those were very much in the minority, and Ms Ardern has since you know come out and said um she was able to form a government, um, so go through negotiations, while having morning sickness. Um, and actually, you know, prior to that, Labour, her party had spent nine years out of government and she was the one who got them back into government. Um, and most people are just really happy um, and have also offered um, baby names, um her. So some of them from a Maori tribe, so what we call
2: Iwi here in New Zealand, have offered names like um, Wadu and Wai Marirangi and also Sunny. Labour, of course, are in a coalition with New Zealand First. So New Zealand First leader Winston Peters will be stepping up as acting Prime Minister. And look, he's a pretty divisive figure. How are New Zealanders feeling about him taking on the top job? Mr.
3: Peters,
6: Winston Peters is a highly experienced politician. So, you know, he served as a foreign minister um, under two administrations and he's also been deputy prime minister um, under the national government. Um, He is regarded as somewhat of a maverick. So, he is 73 years old and he has had plenty of run ins um, with the New Zealand media. Um, but he's also said, even just today to RNZ, that you know he wants to ensure that the country runs smoothly um, and that everything in the next six weeks uh, unfolds with great stability and accountability. Um, he's also taken up um, the morning slots with media, so he's committed to um, speaking to media, um, which is something that MZA uh, did do, um, and... He's continued through with that as well. Um, but I think generally um, people will see for themselves once the six weeks, uh, once we head into the six weeks, um, and we'll see what happens.
2: Winston Peters and Jacinda Arden are obviously very different ends of the political spectrum and, and different personality types. Do you think that he will bring a different leadership style to the table?
6: I don't think he will do anything um, that drastic, I, I think we're all um, thinking that he'll stick to his, what he said um, to us, that he will um, ensure that things will run as smoothly as possible and that is what he intends to do and has done so far. Um, because he has taken over um, his duties as um, running the post, the cabinet, and also the post uh, um, press conference. Um,
2: but it's Winston Peters, so we'll see. Now, Jacinda Arden isn't the first female leader to give birth while in office, but that hasn't stopped the media really taking a big interest in her pregnancy. Why do you think there's been such a high level of interest in New Zealand, Australia, and around the world? I think people are interested in in the
6: astounding rise that she's had, really, in, in the political arena. So this time last year, she'd only just been named as Labour's um, deputy leader. Um, a few months later, she was leader of the party, and then a few months after that, she was Prime Minister um, of New Zealand. Um, she is also only 37 years old, so one of New Zealand's youngest um, ever leaders and currently the world's um, youngest female head of government. Um, and Labour had been languishing, so her party Labour had been languishing in the polls um, prior to her taking over, but she managed to pull everything together and pull the party to a position where they could form a coalition government with the other two minor parties. Um, That's not to say that um, she hasn't had political challenges since she's um, become Prime Minister, um, trying to run a coalition government and trying to get policies across the line. There's always going to be compromises, um, and that's likely something to still happen in the future, um, but with coalition governments, I
2: think that's expected. Now, Jessie, you had a chat to some mums in Auckland this week who had some toddler tips for the PM. What was their advice? So mostly they just said uh, to her to go with the flow and also to trust
6: her own instincts. Um, There'll be a lot of people who have a lot of opinions and comments about how to raise a child, um, but to trust her own gut and and do what's right uh, for her and for her child.
2: Jessie, thanks so much for coming on AusPol Live. Thank you. That was Jessie Chiang from Radio NZ. As you can hear, the bells are still going in Parliament House. The Senate is currently having a vote. But following up on our panel with Liberal Senator Jane Hume and Labor MP Terry Butler, Elizabeth Green tweeted, reviolence against women. We actually need men to stand up, call for change, and call out other men. We have brilliant women's leadership, and women's voices are wildly heard. But what we need is everyone possible to call for change. it's an interesting thought, Elizabeth. Thanks so much for tweeting it in. And that's all we've got time for for this week's edition of Oz Poll Live here from Parliament House. We will be back next week. If you missed anything from today's show, it'll be up on our Twitter site at bfozpoll And, of course, my Twitter account at Workman Alice. Uh, I will see you next week. But until then, I'm going to leave you with this tasty comment from the Urban Infrastructure and Cities Minister, Paul Fletcher.
1: If you are a well-paid Labor MP married to a well-paid bureaucrat, aspiration might be very puzzling to you.
5: As you you sip your decaf latte, your decaf soy latte, as you munch your kale and quinoa salad, you might wonder, what is this aspiration thing?